Praise the Lord. Shall we pray? In Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to be at your feet and to hear from you. I pray that as your word come out, Lord, it will edify, it will exalt, and it will encourage. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen. I want to thank the pastor for the privilege to minister this morning. And also want to thank the choir for the good ministration they gave to us this morning. Praise the Lord. I want to speak this morning on the topic, keeping the trust. Keeping the trust. Trust is a level of covenant from others to you, which you have established or end over a period of time by virtue of interaction. Praise the Lord. A level of confidence which you have established in people and it takes a process over a period of time and by virtue of interaction. Praise the Lord. We live in a time where it's difficult for you to say for somebody to say I trust you we are like ah, we always have some reservation but this morning now this message is not about the other person it's about you it's about me when I say keeping the trust I don't mean the other person keeping the trust I mean you keeping the trust. Because if every one of us develops the characteristic that makes us to be trustworthy and walk towards keeping that trust, then everybody will be trustworthy. Then there won't be need for you not to trust the other person. There won't be need for you to have reservation about the other person because Everybody is just like you. Everybody is keeping the truth. That's why I said, this is not about the next person. It's about you. It's about me. Praise the Lord. If we go to uh, Psalm, 2 Samuel, uh, chapter 15, from verse 1 to 15, There is a story there about Absalom. Absalom is the son of uh, David. And his father trusted him. Even though he was doing a lot of things, his father trusted him. Even came to the point that he told his father, I'm going to, let me go to Jerusalem and I want to go and worship God. The, Gave some, the father some good stories about what he wants to go and do. And David still trusted him and allowed him to do that. But when he got the opportunity, he used the opportunity to turn against his father. 
the same place where he was going, said he was going to worship God, was the same place where he committed a treason against the Father and gathered the people against the Father and wanted to become king when it was not time. Praise the Lord. And he gathered a lot of people. And the situation was that bad that David, the king, had to run away from his throne, from his house, from his son. That was how grave the conspiracy was, that David had to run for his life. You know, before David became king, David was running from Saul for his life. But when he became king, David ran from his own son for his life. No wonder the Bible says that a man's enemies of his own household. David ran away from his son because somebody betrayed the trust. Praise the Lord. And you also remember the story of Ziba and Mephibosheth. We all remember the fact that uh, Ziba was the servant of Mephibosheth. We remember that Mephibosheth was somebody that saw uh, David decided to honor when he said, is there anybody left in the house of Saul, right? And Ziba was... And Saul, David restored everything unto him. But we don't know the part of the story that this same Ziba, at a point in time, turned and used some cunning way to get back what he was supposed to keep for Mephibosheth. A time when David was running away and Mephibosheth wanted to go and meet David where he was to encourage him. And Ziba said, if you want, if you have to go, you have to ride the, your, the donkey yourself. And do you remember what, what kind of person was Mephibosheth? He was a lame man. <laughs> and now, if somebody who is supposed to be your servant is telling you, if you want to go to meeting, you have to, when he knows fully well that Mephibosheth cannot walk, not talk of riding a donkey. And when he got to David's place, he presented the story in such a way that made David to say, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is you. Not until David came in contact with Mephibosheth again did he know the true story. And at the end of the day, he said, okay, let them divide what it is between you, Ziba, and Mephibosheth. What am I talking about? People betraying the trust. Praise the Lord. Who needs to be your trust? Your spouse needs your trust. And this morning we're not talking about, it doesn't matter what has happened before, we are talking about starting afresh. We're talking about build, keeping, build the trust and keeping the trust. Your spouse needs your trust. Your children need your trust. But we know that the, the, just like the glory of the old men is their gray hair, the one that has wisdom, 
then the glory of the children is a good father. Praise the Lord. Your children, they need you to be trustworthy. Your pastor, your leader, they need you to be trustworthy. Somebody that is working with you, somebody that is your leader has committed some, the person is because the person needs you to be trustworthy. There is need for trust for members of the household of faith. You ask me, what's the difference? Being trustworthy to the pastor and the members of the household of the fact is that there are people who will do certain things because the pastor said they should do it or the, because pastor is there. Right? They want to develop the trust. But when it comes, when the pastor is not there, they don't do the same thing with the rest of the members of the household of it. That's what I'm saying. That's why I say, not just your leader, not just your pastor, the members of the household of faith need you to be trustworthy. Praise the Lord. Your word entirely needs you to be trustworthy. And who are your word? The government. The government needs you to be trustworthy. That's why you need to be honest, like in filing your taxes and everything. Everything that the government asks you to do, that has to do with your civic responsibility, they need you to be trustworthy. Your neighbor needs you to be trustworthy. There are, you, you, I mean, there are neighbors, people that will have neighbors, and even though you are around, they still need to secure their things or things like that. I mean, your neighbors need you to be trustworthy. Your friend need you to be trustworthy. At your workplace, they need you to be trustworthy. People can vouch for you even when you are not there. I personally have had that kind of experience. People do not need to ask your own side of the story before they start defending you. It gets to a level, to a process to come to that level where something is said about you or something is happening and people don't need to hear from you and they stand up to defend you. And when they do that, their defense is sure because when you show up, they are not disappointed. Praise the Lord. And the seventh person that needs you to be trustworthy is yourself. Have you heard people who, who say, I cannot trust myself on this? It's funny. But you've heard people say, see, yeah, everything, this one, I can't trust myself on it. So it means that even you yourself need to develop some level of trustworthy so that you can trust yourself on everything. You can trust yourself on everything. Brother, pastor, you see this one, I can't guarantee what I can do. Grow up. Grow up so that you come to the level where you can guarantee what you can do. Praise the Lord. So if you don't forget everything, remember that you yourself need to be trustworthy to yourself. Praise the Lord. And that's what, like I said, you don't need to bother about why people are not trusting, why the other person should not be trustworthy. We're talking about you being trustworthy and keeping the trust. And if everybody has that mentality and that thinking, what we'll have will be 
a trustworthy church. What we have will be a trustworthy because everybody is like you. And everybody is doing the right thing. Praise the Lord. And now, what is the Bible's perspective? What did the Bible talk about trust? I want us to look at this now with God, how God has developed his trust and how he is keeping it. What do I mean? What, what is it about God that makes you to trust him? And we're going to look at those characteristics and see that if you do the same thing, you just be like God. And also, if you understand these characteristics of God, your, your confidence and trust in God will be more. Praise the Lord. Some Proverbs 3.5, what does it say? Proverbs 3.5, it says... If you're there, you can read. Okay. Trust in the Lord with what? And lean not on your own. Stop there. He didn't just say trust in the Lord. He said what? Trust in the Lord what? With all your heart. And lean not on your understanding. This verse is simply telling us how to trust. Trust with all your hearts. Trust and trust totally. That is how God wants us to approach him. That is what, how God wants us to relate with him. With no reservation. And also we as his offspring and his children should be able to trust one another in that way. And that responsibility to trust one another in that way lies on each of one of us to build and keep that trust so that we can all trust one another with all our hearts. And now, the second part of it tells us, gives us an idea of what can make us not to trust. What did he say? He said, and do what? Lean not on your own understanding. It is what you know, what you think, or what has happened sometime before that can make you to be flimsy in your trust. Um, let me put a disclaimer here. When I say trust, I'm talking of positive trust. Trust in reference to character. I'm not talking of a blind trust. What do I mean? And that's why, first of all, we, we've talked a lot about wisdom. So I'm not talking of trust without wisdom, because the Bible says wisdom is principle to everything. So you don't see a known pedophile now, and you said, I trust you, then you leave your daughter with him. Or, right? That's not the kind of trust we are talking about. So, let me, I wanted to put it in, 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 in context. So now, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. If you like put it in relation to the spouse, your, your spouse, for instance, your understanding tells you he or she has done this before. So, why am I sure that he, she's not, it's not what he or she is doing again? Or what he or she is going to do? That's your understanding. 
So long as you are reclining or leaning on that, it affects how your level of trust. It affects you from being able to trust with all your heart. Remember we said it's not about what has happened before. We're talking about building the trust and keeping the trust. And for you to be able to do that, you must shed away your own own understanding. Lead not on your own understanding. Lead not on what has happened before. Lead not on what you think. Lead not on what you have been told. All these things, if you lean on them, there is no way you can trust with all your heart. And a relationship starting from the home where there is no trust, there's nothing else that can hold. Because everything is, even when you, when you show love, it is, it is a suspect. It will be that there's a reason for it. Praise the Lord. Trust is very important. Now, why did God ask us to trust in this way? Let's now look at some characteristics of God. Malachi 3.6 Malachi 3.6 One is that God has asked us to trust in him with all our hearts because he does not change. He does not change. Malachi 3.6 if, uh, because of time, once I mention it, if, yeah, if it's not projected, just read. Because he, he said, for I am the Lord and I do what? I do not change. So, if you are skeptical about your trust, if your trust in God is wavering, God said, one of my qualities, why I said, trust me with all your heart is because I do not change. And as a human being also, to keep the trust, you must not change. You can only change from bad to good, but you are not allowed to change from good to bad. Because God never changes to bad. He's good and good and good. So, first thing, if you do not change, let it never be said of you, he used to be this, but he's no longer that. Or he, he used to do this positively, but he's no longer doing it. Something has discouraged you or whatever. And you stop doing that which is right. He who lays his hand on and looks back is not what fits for the calling. Two, Habakkuk 2 3. The next reason why God says, we should trust him with all his heart is because he cannot lie. His word and his vision is him. Habakkuk 2.3 God, for the vision is yet for an appointed time but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not, it will not tarry. But who is the giver of the vision? God. Fine. He said, for the vision is yet for an opportunity. So, that's why I say, God, his vision and his word are him. And he said, he will, it will not what? Lie. So, one of the reasons why God wants you to trust in that is because he cannot lie. 
And as a person, if you want to keep, develop and keep it on, be a person who cannot lie. Is it possible not to live a, a lies-free life? True, it is. He cannot lie. Praise the Lord. Jeremiah 29, 11. Another reason why God wants us to trust him with all our own hearts. With all our hearts and another quality that we can embrace and we can keep our trust is that he meets expectation. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, and to do what? And to give you a future and what? A hope. Another translation will say, to give you what? An expected end. So, God meets expectation. You cannot build your trust, you cannot keep the trust if you constantly do not meet the expectation or what is expected of you. Be it in the church, be it in the workplace, be it in the family, be it as a husband, be it as a wife, be whatever you are, there is always an expectation and you must meet it. If you want to keep your trust, you must be a person like God who does what meets expectation. That is one quality of God. So when you when 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 the devil is telling you certain things, creating doubts and fears in your heart, tell him to his face that you have a God who gives an expected end. You have an end that you expect, and God meets that expectation. Praise the Lord. Ephesians 3, 19 to 20. He does not just meet expectation, but the fourth thing is that he goes beyond expectation. Ephesians 3, 19 to 20. He goes beyond expectation. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works. He said, exceedingly abundantly above what? All that we can ask or think. Remember, we said he missed expectation. But now he said he can go above what we can ask and what we can think. So, why would you not trust somebody who has told you that I will not just meet your expectation, I would exceed your expectation. And if you are somebody who constantly exceeds, I used to, when I, in my former place of work, where I, I was a manager, so every, every, after every, every flight, we do uh, an assessment. You assess your crew, and there is, there is a consistency, there is a, a succeed, and there is a, a exceeded, right? Before you get exceed, which is the maximum point, it means you must have done, done all the normal thing and did something that is above normal. You can never get exceed if you, if you have just done the normal thing. You must have done something that is above the normal. And this is how God is. He said he does above the normal thing. He does above your expectation. And if you cultivate that attitude of going beyond expectation. You know, when, I think it was two weeks ago, 
when Pastor Bisi was preaching, when she said, hey, you, you, in your workplace, you can decide to come back from late, from break, five minutes before time. It, looked, it, didn't, it didn't look like anything, but it, for me, it was a message because if you do things just the way everybody is doing, you're just like everybody. Right? So, and when she said that, I remember that there are people who are not Christians who always get back to their duty post before it is the time to start. So, I don't get back late, but if these people are consistently getting there before me, and I see myself as having a higher standard of calling, then I should do better. Right? So, I'm not saying, you're not doing it to impress anybody, but I'm just using that as an example, like, you, when you continually go above what is expected, people are going to trust you more. And that is what will, one thing that will make people speak for you, even in your absence. Because they know, I, I've said this thing before, I wrote an exam, and at the end of the exam, I knew I was, you know that kind of, when you enter the hall and everything, you go blank. You know all the questions, but, to, so I knew all the questions, but honestly, they say answer some, like six, answer five. I even answered the whole six, but there was none I finished. Because I, I don't know what happened to me. I didn't finish it. By the time I came out, I knew I had failed the exam. I knew. So, and for the first time before the result came out, I went with my friend to the lecture. I said, I wanted to see my result on that subject. For the first time. And when we get the, go to the office, first thing he asked, Miracle, what happened to you? I said, Sir, I don't know, but I know I failed the course. I was already telling him, I said, He said, Yes, truly, you failed the course, you failed the exam. But you know when after there's your lecturer's mark, there's a senior that reviews the results. He said, but when they were reviewing the results, when they came to my, it's not, it was not even the lecturer, the senior, they said, we cannot fail him. That for him not to have passed this course, something must have happened. And they, I didn't deserve to pass, but the people refused to fail me. And I didn't have a receipt on that course. I passed a course I knew myself that I failed. Why? Because over time, you have shown your worth. You have shown your capability. And people were able to stand for me, even in my absence, without me making a difference. That is how going beyond expectation can increase the level of confidence that people have in you. Praise the Lord. Number five. He rewards. He gives what is due. Hebrews 11.6 Hebrews 11.6 The first, the fifth quality of God that makes us to say trust in him. And what if you do it, you also gain the, the trust of people. He rewards. He gives what is due. But without faith it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is 
and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He is what? A rewarder. That, so, they say, you need to trust me and you need to seek me diligently. Why do you need to seek me diligently? Because I, the Lord your God, I am a rewarder of them that seek me diligently. And if you are somebody who you give people what is due, who you pay people when what is due to them, who you, you make a promise, I will give you this for doing this, and you keep to it. You reward people for faithfulness, you reward people for... People will trust you more. If you always reward people for doing good, that person will want to do good when it comes to your case every time. If as a boss, you are this person who have, you know how to encourage people, you know how to motivate people, you know how to reward people for their little efforts, obvious and the one that is not obvious. When you, when you are on duty, people will definitely just want to make you succeed. People will want to, without being coerced, they will do because they know that you will give to them what is due. He is a rewarder. Praise the Lord. And the sixth thing is that he is merciful and gracious. He is merciful and Psalm 145 verse 8. Psalm 145 verse 8. He is merciful and gracious. Why? You must have you might have messed up. You might have got the for, for the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and great in mercy. You might have strayed away. You might be watching online this morning. You might be here. You have not even given your life to Christ. I have a colleague who said, when I will talk about church or God, she will tell me, say, that if she holds a Bible, it will burn. And I should not let her come to her church because if she comes to her church, may burn. And the reason she's saying that, she's been honest, she, she has looked at the gravity of her life, she has looked at what she has, and she has seen herself, I am not, I've done too much that if I hold the Bible, my sin is enough to burn it. But what is God saying this morning? He is rich in mercy and full of grace. And that's why he said, though your sin no matter how bad, how, how bad it is. No matter how, he said he was going to watch them and make them as white as snow. He's going to, he's, he's going to make you a brand new person. He's not going to count on your faults. He's not going to count on your sins because he is gracious and he is merciful. Praise the Lord. Mercy is an act of righteousness. That's why the Bible says that I have not seen the righteous nor his seed begging bread. Where is it? Um, Psalm 37, 25. 25, 26. Psalm 37, 25, 26. Let's read it. For us, be merciful is an act of righteousness. 
I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendant begging bread. Yes. He is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. Who is he talking about? The righteous. And what made him righteous? He said, he is ever what? Merciful. Mercy is an act of righteousness. Mercy is something that begat me. The Bible, in, in, in Matthew 5, it says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall do what? Obtain mercy. That, it may not even be you that will obtain it. Maybe your children will obtain it. But they are still bearing your name. It's you that have gotten it. Mercy. And that is how God is. God, he is full of mercy and grace. And that's why he said, trust me. Trust me. I'm not counting on your fault. And the same way we should be with our, our friends, with our spouses, let's be merciful. Let's be gracious. Let's stop counting on what has been done. And the more we are like that, the more people will be able to open up to you. The more people can trust you to say, to even, even, even confess to you, even before you ask, because they have, you have shown them that you are full of mercy and grace. If you are full of mercy and grace, your children will do something. I say, did you do it? I say, they say yes, because they know you will approach them with mercy and grace. You approach them with not just mercy and grace, with, with truth and mercy. Because you won't just you won't let them go ahead, but you will still tell them the truth, but in mercy and in grace. Praise the Lord. And finally, Psalm 46, verse 1. Another reason why God says we should trust him is that he is ever present when he need, where he needs to be. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and a what? Very present help in what? He is ever present where he needs to be. A very present help. I don't know what is your trouble. I don't know the one you enter tomorrow. I don't know when you are in. But God says, trust me because I am a very present help in time of trouble. And if you are a person who is a very present, you are present where you need to be, people are going to trust you. I've heard, I've come in contact with, with sons who cannot say anything good about their father, who do not trust, who do not believe in their Why? Because, you know what, he says that one was like, he was never there for me. He was not present. He was never there to eat. What did he do for me? So you need to come to the point where you are present where you need to be. As a father, as a mother, as a husband, as a worker, as a boss, whatever. As a church worker, you need to be present where you need to be. For God, your father, who you are like, is a very present help in time of... That trouble means where he needs to be. Praise the Lord. God is a present help. And that's why he said, trust me with all our heart. And the more we do all these seven things in our individual life, the more we're going to build the trust, the more we're going to keep the trust. And the more we keep the trust, 
the church will become a trustworthy place. Our word become a trustworthy place. Praise the Lord. If you don't keep the trust, there is danger. The danger is causes. Some, let's look second Samuel 15, 30 to 31. Second Samuel. Two dangers of not keeping the trust. Second Samuel 15, 30 to 31. Now a messenger came to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. No, I said 30 to 31. Yeah. So David went up by the ascent of the mount and went up as he went up and he had his head covered. And all the people who were in the cupboard and went off with him, weeping as they went, yes. Then someone told David, saying, Ahitophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahitophel into what? Foolishness. Anytime you betray the trust, anytime you fail to keep the trust, there is a danger. It can lead to a cause. Have you seen people cause people with so much pain in their hearts? The weight of the cause is based on the weight of the trust they had on you. And it could lead to loss of gifts and position. If somebody has, if God has given you a gift and you're not using it well, if somebody has entrusted you with your position and you're not doing it, using it the way you're supposed to use it, you can lose that position. Ahitophel was a wise counselor. His counsel was as if he was from the, from the voice of God. But because he betrayed that trust and conspired with Absalom, the Bible says there was no better prayer to pray against Absalom because his greatest relevance was his counsel. And there was no worse prayer to pray for him than what David said. David said, turn that his counsel into what? Foolishness. Don't let what has brought you to limelight become foolishness. Don't let the confidence that is bestowed on you become foolishness. Praise the Lord. If you read Habakkuk, Micah 7, 2 to 6, finally, my time is up. Micah 7, 2 to 6. If you read that place, you see, you see a picture of a decayed environment. The faithful man has perished from the earth. And there is no one upright among them. They all lie in wait and blood. Every man hunts his brother with a net. And they may, that they may successfully do evil with both hands. The prince asks for gifts. The judge seeks a bribe. And the great men utter the evil desire. So they scheme together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright is sharper than a torn age. The day of your watchman and your punishment comes. Now shall be your perplexity. Praise the Lord. You can read the rest of it. But it said the faithful men are no longer there. 
that gives you an, a picture of the, the environment became decayed. Nothing, nothing could hold water because everybody was, there was no faithful man, there was no trust. He said people were waiting in, to take the blood of their own brother. So, and when that happens, it could lead to a decayed environment. The decay can be in your family, the decay can be in the church, the decay can be within your neighborhood, everywhere, because nobody is faithful. Nobody is trustworthy. And that's not the kind of society we want to build. That's not the kind of church we want to build. That is not the kind of family we want to build. We want to build a family and a church and a society that is trustworthy. Let's bow our heads. In what way has the word ministers to you? Begin to t- tell God. Talk, think about the qualities that God expects of us. And God will help you to be like him.